the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Time now for the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. Demonstrating the value of the notion of growing where you're planted and the importance of marketplace evangelism on this edition of Church of the Week. And joining me, a very special guest. He is founding and senior pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch, Pastor Kirkland Smith, senior pastor. And Pastor Smith, great to have you on this edition of Church of the Week. Good morning, Craig. Good to be here. So I understand you are a Bay Area native, and uh, therefore my comment about growing where you are planted. But it's interesting, looking at some of your bio, uh, you spent some time studying in, in more of a secular arena. You studied and received your Bachelor of Arts degree in business administration and management. But God obviously had some different plans. Tell us about that. Well, um, uniquely, um Everyone has what I call a testimony. Everyone has a story. And um, and I think the wonderful thing about God and a relationship with Christ is every story is different, but it, it has great emphasis. Uh, mine's was not the traditional with many of the pastors that have uh, been born and bred in the church and maybe, you know, dads or grandfathers or whatever were pastors. They followed in those shoes, which are phenomenal. I think some of the stories that make it even more make make the uh, the name of God even more powerful is his, his ability to be able to draw men in that maybe didn't have that uh, traditional upbringing. I, I grew up uh, really in kind of a diverse background. I went to Catholic school. Uh, mom and uh, grandmother were Episcopal, and they did attend and, and serve there. Um, and um, my family had uh, a Pentecostal church, if you will. So kind of a little bit of visitation and all of those, but no true um, footing or, or really relationship with the Lord, more just church attendance. And it wasn't until college being invited uh, to church from some young ladies whose lives had really transformed did I come to know Christ. And um, all of those other early relationships or, or kind of visitations, maybe that's a good word, visitations with God, all came to fruition uh, at 24. Do you think all of that, um, shall we say, theological diversity in your background between Roman Catholicism, the Episcopal Church, Pentecostalism, in some ways you're kind of like me, you're sort of a theological mutt, meaning that it's a combination of many things. But do you think at the end of the day that helps you better understand people and the challenges sometimes in effectively communicating the gospel to some people who may have religion, but not necessarily have experienced relationship? Well, I couldn't have said it any better. Um, uh, you know, our church is, is a, uh, a very uh, diverse ministry, but I, I think even more so is the ability to maybe relate and understand. Uh, that was something that I, I think Paul um, or Peter, better yet, both of them uh, really came to understand as um, you know, Peter had that encounter uh, with uh, an ex, I think it was Acts 10, when they came to uh, the Gentiles came, he ended up having that meeting with Cornelius, and he realized the Spirit of God fell on them, and, and the Spirit of God was for them just as much it was it was for the Jews, and it was an enlightening. And I, and I think knowing how much God loved me even before and cared for me and was patient with me um, in the midst of all the things I've done, that were not pleasing to him. He didn't, uh, you know, he didn't write me off. He didn't, he didn't kick me to the curb, you know, sort of speak. He was patient. And I think all of those upbringings and experiences that I saw, whether they be good or bad, are all in the pot of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch. And it helps not just me, but it helps the leadership to be very um, understanding, I, I think, and also empathetic. I don't want to say empathetic, but um, our, our name is Grace for a reason. And it's to pour it out and to demonstrate it and show it uh, to those that may not be lined up exactly the way you are at this present time. 
And, you know, I think that's an encouraging thing because all too often there are those that are outside of the church looking in. Maybe they've had a church experience, but they're disenfranchised because that experience didn't start well or maybe it didn't end well. And oftentimes you hear, well, I don't want to go to church. I'm not good enough, things of this sort. And yet what you're suggesting, I think, is demonstrative of not only your own personal experience, but even a guy like Paul on the road to Damascus. Let's face it. He wasn't a nice guy. And if you and I sat down, we had a committee meeting and said, okay, we'd like to pick who's going to be the principal writer of almost the entirety of the New Testament. Paul probably would not be on our committee's list. (laughs) And yet... How delightful to see the way God pours out his spirit and his truth and his love through forgiveness. That even somebody like Paul, who spent some of the most notable years of his early career persecuting the church, turns out to be one of the key leaders of the church. And I think that notion of of just in his very life demonstrating reconciliation and relationship is really a model for all of us, suggesting that there are none that are therefore beyond the grace of God. But let me say this, Greg, and and the truth of the matter is this, without a Paul writing, not so much, you know, two thirds of the scriptures, without him writing one story, I wouldn't be in Christ. It was the Paul's of the scripture. It was the messed up David's uh, of the scriptures um, that gave me hope that there was, there was a place in Christ uh, for me. Never, ever considering that I would be functioning in the role that I'm in. It's humbling. It is, um, you know, oftentimes when you just reflect upon the goodness of God on your own personal life. We so often, you know, talk to people in a, in a corporate manner about, you know, corporate uh, issues or you, you speak to them as a whole. But sometimes, you know, when the Spirit of God has you speaking to people as individuals, and you have them focusing on their relationship, just theirs. Um, and when you share that sometimes as a pastor, a Bible teacher, or whatever the, c- the case may be, you start, if you begin to to personalize what God has done for you, who he's been to you, how much he's cared for you, how he advocated for you, how he didn't wipe his hands with you, how he kept you, how he never left you, it becomes overwhelming at times. So sometimes you, you try to keep your focus on the whole, because when I sometimes talk, uh, the Spirit will lead me to speak to a specific group, whatever that group may be. You mentioned the disenfranchised or the discouraged or those that are dealing with depression. And then you may think of sometimes when you were disenfranchised or sometimes you went through depression or sometimes that you were distressed or sometimes you were dysfunctional. It, it can cause for just incredible worship, but also an incredible mindfulness of how much you mean individually. I know there are 8 billion people, and I know there are billions and billions before us that are living, but how, you know, the Lord has truly cared for each of us. And that's what keeps me grounded, uh, hungry uh, to continue to serve him. Um, but it, it also keeps me uh, grateful. And um, and I think that's a word that's uh, poignant, poignantly used um, for us that, that still are in love with the Lord. Um, and I'm not talking about like him, I'm not talking about we've been married for 20 years. I'm talking about flat out in love with him. You know, what's beautiful about that is this idea that that we don't have to get cleaned up to come to Christ. That notion of, as, as Scripture reminds us, that while we were yet sinners in the depth of our rebellion and and acting the fool, that while we were right there, Christ died for us and made that way, offered that sacrifice to pay the price that we should have paid, so that we could be reunited and reconciled under the Father and walk in relationship with Him. And maybe that's the one key component that so often folks misunderstand. They look at Christianity as another world religion, a great religion, a religion that does wonderful things and so forth and so on, and yet fail perhaps to recognize that it is relationship that is really at the heart and soul of the gospel message. And this very notion that if there had been 8 billion people on the planet or just Pastor Kirkland Smith, he would have died nevertheless because our Creator wants to walk so much in personal relationship, in fellowship with you. And you start to kind of boil that down and think on that. that that's a mind blower, <laughs> isn't it? That's the exact word I was thinking. It, it literally blows my mind. 
And the the other thing that I want to touch on that you kind of referred to is this this notion of you know God using someone like Paul to show the way that he kind of chose the least of these. Again, not somebody, if we were on that pulpit committee, that we would have necessarily selected or called, yet God knew. And maybe in that sense, God's got a plan for each and every one of us. We may not see or understand at this date and time and juncture in our life the kind of ministry that he's called us to, what he's asking us to do to... um, to be about his business, and yet he does have a unique plan for every one of us. And I, and I bet if we knew ultimately what that final plan looked like, it'd probably scare <laughs> the living daylights out of it just as much as if that Damascus Road experience had been the the Holy Spirit sitting down with Paul and saying, okay, let me tell you what you're going to do and where you're going to do it. He, he probably would have said you're crazy and turned back. Well, not only would it, it have uh, scared us, we wouldn't have done it. That's right. Um the role I'm in today, you know, I never would have anticipated this role, nor even when I became a believer and was continuously serving and going to church, would I have wanted and or desired this position. So he 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 brings us along. You know, he brings us, you know, the, the scripture says he brings us in that path of righteousness for his namesake. So he brings us along that path. And I believe as we you know, take this journey on that path, we begin to gain footing and we gain a certain deal of of what I call consistency and reliability um, and encourageability in, in God. And you begin to look for your daily bread from him. And um, and I, I went through all the gamuts. I started as a deacon and I, um, I feel God was, well, I didn't feel I knew that God was calling me. I was just extremely hungry for not just um, spending time in the word and prayer and service, but now conveying that message, you know, being a conduit of the message of God, the good news of Jesus Christ, sharing that, you know, with, um, you know, we call it a lost and dying world, but with people that were needing, that were hungering and thirsting for that righteousness. So I accepted that call to ministry. I was fine as a minister. And then, um, you know, this unique thing happened and, and the call, my call, you know, very similar to so many other men in scriptures calls was so vivid and real. Um, it, it just humbled me at the, the, you know, at the greatest degree that I surrendered to um, becoming a, a pastor, you know, leading a flock. I was very comfortable as a minister, reverend, or whatever, you know, you want to call that position. Um, because again, there, there's still only a certain amount of responsibility as a deacon. There's only a certain amount of responsibility but when you become the pastor, you know, of a flock, it is not just a a lifetime commitment to holiness and righteousness, but now it's it's like when a parent has a child, when it was just you or your wife, you know, there you know, there's partnership in marriage, but you you know, as long as they're they're well, they're not sick, you know, they you both can function alone and there's only so much the other expects. But when you have a child and they can't care for themselves and a lot of times the dilemma in a church is you had someone been, been there 15 years, but they're still spiritual children. That's why Paul said, I wish to you know feed you meat, but I can't because you're still on milk. Mm-hmm. And um, it's a challenge sometimes when you, you know, it doesn't matter. Every church has those that are on milk, you know, or those that are just born, that have just been born again. And your responsibility now is to care, to nurture and feed them, because if you don't, they'll die. Yeah, and, and you could argue perhaps that an evangelist, for example, largely has a responsibility in proclaiming the word back to God. But a pastor who also has that responsibility of proclaiming the word, but also teaching and leading the flock. So suddenly there is this incredible exponential growth of accountability that it's not just God that you have to answer to, but in a sense from the spiritual shepherding and leadership standpoint, you also become accountable to every single person in those pews. If you've just joined us, Pastor Kirkland Smith, founding pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch, is with us today. More information, by the way, on the web at GBF of Antioch. Think Grace Bible Fellowship, GBF of Antioch.org. I'm struck, Pastor Smith, by something that also sort of sets you apart from many of your peers. Most pastors traditionally are called to a church, but looking at some of the history of Grace Bible Fellowship, it seems that initially you weren't called to the church, but rather you were called to the street. 
Now, let me qualify that by saying that you and your spouse, I understand, were, were operating a beauty salon. And in a wonderful example of what I call marketplace ministry, God turned that place of physical beauty and used it as a tool for spiritual beauty. Tell us a bit how that 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 tiny little salon became kind of, of ground zero for this marketplace evangelism that would eventually give growth to Grace Bible Fellowship now with well over a thousand members. That's an amazing story, I'll bet. Well, let me first give my wife a shout out. Um, Sister Kavander Smith, the best of the best. Um, met her uh, through my brother and his fiance. Um, my brother's fiance was from New Orleans, and my wife came to visit her best friend. She came to visit from New Orleans and uh, um, came, you know, my sister in law, she was, they were engaged at the time, but introduced us and we locked eyes and the rest is history. So <laughs> we ended up moving to California, um, really knew no one but her best friend. And we became a tandem. We became a, a, a team. And she um, ended up going to cosmetology school, graduated, opened up a little small salon. We were living in Fremont and we um, were serving in Fremont. I was working a corporate uh, job and uh, loved it, loved what I did. And um but we were faithful in church. We were serving in ministry. Um, and um, w- we ended up l- looking for a home. Uh, God closed the door on a home we thought we were going to buy in Fremont and Newark. Um, we were disgruntled and, and disappointed. And we went looking for ho- homes. And, and we were looking or thought we were going to look out in the Hercules area. We took a wrong turn and ended up in a place called Antioch. Had never heard of Antioch, knew nothing about Antioch. The first uh, development we went into, um, this was um, 1993. First development we went into, we um, uh, sat on the floor and the Lord told me, he said, this is your home. So we ended up, um, you know, making Antioch home. She ended, ended up finding a small place. We opened up this salon. It was just small. I'm still working corporate, still commuting. Um, and we... And she always was ministering to people there, always. Uh, I'd come to help clean up or whatever. She'd be praying with people. She'd be counseling people. They'd be in there crying. They'd be in there worshiping. And uh, and some of these people were not even believers. They weren't even churchgoers, but people loved the atmosphere there. They loved the, I won't even say the presence of God. They The word I used to hear ladies say is they loved the peace. We fast forward you know, a year or two down the road, I... um. I end up, you know, going into full-time ministry, and we, um, my pastor, uh, Horatio Jones of Grace Bible, uh, I'm sorry, uh, used to be Fremont Bible Fellowship, now it's Family Bible Fellowship of Newark, um, they decide we're going to plan a ministry in Antioch, and um, we, you know, we didn't have anywhere to, to have initial Bible studies, so the only place we had outside of our home was a salon. The salon was kind of in kind of downtown. It was in a hub. It was in a, it wasn't in a nice area, but it it was in an area that she had already developed relationships with clients. And we, we had about eight or nine little folding chairs, about five or six of them were different colors. So we laid the eight or nine chairs out and we began to have Bible study and the rest is history, always different people, but the word came alive. They already loved the atmosphere. They loved the place. They loved her. And, you know, they began to really fall in love with the Lord. And, you know, obviously the branch, that was, you know, that was the foundation. That was the vine. But then the branch, uh, the branches began to grow. And, you know, obviously we ended up moving up and on. But our humble beginnings from the beauty salon called Heavenly Hair, which is still (laughs) operational now, Heavenly Hair is still going. Um, We can never forget what happened in that little small beauty salon, you know, over 20 years ago. So you're, you're, you're not then wife, but she, she came out to visit a friend, stayed for a husband and a ministry. And, and I'm struck by something you mentioned, and, and maybe we can spend a moment elaborating upon this. And, and some listeners are going to think, oh, Craig's going to go to meddling now. I know it. <laughs> I, feel Metal, it I feel it coming. But <laughs> you, you mentioned that the salon geographically, quote, wasn't in a nice area. And yet, clearly, it was an area where there was need. Yes. Is that problematic, Pastor Smith, in the church today? And I ask this because we've seen 
multiple generations now, probably going back to even the 1960s, where there's been a lot of church flight out of urban areas. And the pretext usually goes something like, well, we don't have adequate parking. Well, the neighborhood is run down. Or, well, it's not in a nice area. And so they decide to pick up tent stakes. They find themselves a nice multiple-acre campus out in suburbia where there's tree-lined streets, zero crime. The chief of police attends Sunday services. It just all feels really nice, but maybe not terribly effective. And I wonder if it's because, in part, there have been some aspects of the church. This is not meant to be a blanket accusation, but there have been some churches that have left the needy areas for the nice areas and left the needy areas just to kind of sit there and stumble about and atrophy. And I'm wondering, and this kind of goes back to that heart of, of discipleship and marketplace evangelism, if the church today needs to start focusing more on not worried about where the nice areas are, but instead going to the areas where the greatest need is. I mean, if we're told to go out into the highways and byways and compel them to come in, I don't see anything in Scripture that qualifies that and says, you know, so long as it's a low-crime neighborhood that you're going into to pull them in, but rather, come one, come all. Wherever the pain is, Dr. Jesus is here for you. But I don't know that the the churches is doing as good a job at proclaiming that message as maybe we need to be, particularly for such a time as this with all that's going on in the world around us. What what are your thoughts on that? Well, there's no question what you're saying is accurate and it's true. Um, I read a book many years ago called The Assignment, and the assignment, uh, the premise behind the book is everyone has an assignment, everybody. Um, Our assignments are different, but your assignments are always people. And it it broke the book down into many sectors, but, you know, some of the, the portions or sectors were, your assignments are geographical, right? So my assignment is designated for a particular area. I've been called to Antioch. I've been called to the Contra Costa East region. It's not that I can't do ministry in the South Bay. It's not that I can't do ministry in the San Francisco uh, area in which I was born and bred and, and, and have loved ones there and would love to do ministry there, but I have not been assigned to that area. Assignments are, are you know, are temporal. They're not forever. Sometimes we fall in love with a, a place or, or, or people, um, a group of individuals, and they may not be assigned to you forever. So I, I think what happens is we get caught up in bigger and better, and we lose track of our assignments, where we have been assigned, to whom we have been assigned, because we had, you know, some years ago, we had opened up a second campus, and we were thriving with these two churches. I was running between uh, the churches and multiple services including Saturday night services. I think we had four services going between Saturday and Sunday. And I was just running from place to place. And then it, you know, it got to a point, it was, I was just preaching. I wasn't pastoring. I wasn't ministering. I wasn't able to touch, you know, I used to stand at the door and shake hands and hug people and, you know, and just pour into people's lives. And and then when you, you know, went to bigger and better um, at least in, you know, the eyes, which you can sell the people on. And I'm not saying it wasn't of God, but it, that assignment was temporal, you know, and we did that for three or four years and had great success. But one day God told me that there were some internal issues with just the people and they needed a pastor, not associate pastors. They needed their pastor because, again, my assignment was to these particular people and my relationship with them was different than anyone else's. And the Lord he just spoke and he said, if you don't, you know, get back to the one place and just take care of all the sheep, um, he said, I'll shut them both down. And we closed the church, the church seated 300, 400, whatever it was. And we were crowded every single week. And we, when I say we closed it, we were shutting it down, but we were encouraging that church 15 miles away. You guys can just come down the street. And, you know, what blew us away was, I'd say 80% of those three to 350 people didn't come 15 minutes down the street. Um, And we just assumed that was going to happen. And that spoke so much towards the assignment. You know, their assignment was that geographical region. And I ended up, or we as a ministry ended up going into a region that obviously we could have sustained it, but we didn't have the entire leadership 
position solidified the way it needed to be for all of these babies, these new believers, these young people of faith coming in that needed more than just a message. They needed to be touched and loved and five-minute conversations here and two-minute conversations. So we learned a valuable lesson about uh, about assignments and also the geographics of the assignment. And now, as you know, you're now close to, you know, we're hovering on 20 years. You you do better now because you know better. Wow. I'm, I'm thrilled to hear you with, with such candor and humility share that story because I think it's demonstrative kind of going back to full circle of what we were talking about in relationship with, with Paul and, and uh, his Damascus road experience that at the end of the day, and, and maybe a lot of this is the product of, of just, you know, Western society. That's all about a numbers game. How many widgets did you sell? How well is your stock doing on wall street? How many showed up to the game on Sunday? We, we tend to measure success strictly by numbers. I mean, friends you got on facebook exactly right? how many friends do you have i know people that got 500 friends on yeah. facebook they pass away tomorrow they're lucky if 10 show yeah. up at the funeral you know yeah. but it, it it comes back full circle to the fact that you know we're, we're we're called to go into all of the world into judea samaria the uttermost parts and preach the gospel but i don't see god laying out any quotas there what he does lay out very clearly is the importance of the way the sheep are shepherded, discipleship, that people grow in the love and knowledge of the Lord, understanding Scripture, being given the capacity to be able to go and replicate, meaning share their faith and win others for Christ, that so much of Scripture is reliant upon not quantity, but rather quality. Right. And it almost as if we, we, we use the pretext of, you know, well, we're going to help the Holy Spirit out here by, you know, trying to get bigger numbers in, instead of letting the Holy Spirit do its job and just focusing on what we have that's presented in front of us. And, you know, to whom, you know, if you're, if you're, if you're good in the small things, God will give you. If you rule over more. Exactly. Even, even more. And, and I think if the church better focused on that and recognize, you know, sometimes we just need to pour effort and energy into the folks that we have. And then as they grow in the love and fear of the Lord and they become true disciples, then all of that increase, all of that growth that every pastor prays for, and, and certainly every church treasurer pays for praise for, will all come to fruition because God will organically bring that blessing. Well, let me, let me say this, uh, Craig. We, you know, Ephesians chapter 4, you know, speaks, and it says it's he, uh, the 11th verse, says it's he who gave, and talking about God, who gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to equip the people for the works of service so the body will be built up, right? There'll be no division, no schisms in the body. So he gave us these these gifts, these men, um, as gifts to the body of Christ. Now, here's the unique thing. He gave us these pastors and prophets, evangelists, teachers, to equip and build the people up in the faith so there'll be no schisms, division, and we'll all attain uh, the maturity. You know, we'll, we'll attain the fullness is what it says, and we'll, we'll, we'll attain the maturity in the faith, and we'll become one. But the problem is, is that though we are the vessels um, and, and Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ, imitate me. The truth is there's so many aspects of our lives that probably right now shouldn't be imitated because they're not as equipped or strong as they need to be. So Pastor A may be a phenomenal uh, expositor of the word. He may uh, have a phenomenal gift of administration, but he may be a poor encourager. He just isn't very strong in edifying and building up the people. So his messages are doc doctrinally sound, and you can't argue his love for God. Uh, you can't argue his ability to cast a vision and to fulfill it. You know, we they're buying and they're building and they're growing and they're this and this. You can't question his God's hand on him, but he's not as thoroughly equipped in every aspect of his life as he needs to be. And people depend on us, but what people kind of forget is that we are men you know, or women, and the struggle that we have, there are struggles are real too. Mm -hmm. And I think they don't, they don't think that they're problems in the pastor. And then when pastors maybe sort of speak, let people down because, you know, he, he wasn't necessarily the greatest husband or the best father. You know, that was the story we read about Eli in first Samuel. You know, he was a good priest. He was a good man, but he was a horrible father. 
he had to hear about the demise and and the debauchery from his uh, of his children from everybody else. And then he comes to the kids and says, you know, uh, I, I heard that you guys are doing this stuff. Why are you guys doing this? Well, my question to him is, how did you not know your kids were doing this? So he wasn't the best of a father. And we have so many shortcomings. And it's almost like people condemn us for ours, but we're patient and we're full of grace for theirs. So I think if nothing else, I think the congregants and and human beings, because people always love to say to us when we stand for what's right, you know, the mechanics trying to take advantage of us. And we're saying, hey, you know, man, you you know, you're going to fix my car. You're going to do right. And then they hit you with, I thought you were a Christian. You know, they they you know, it's almost as if we can't have any frailties, any shortcomings. And I think for pastors, we all need to be encouraged and understanding we all are works in progress, even the greatest men of God, the largest congregations, the the most, you know, uh, exquisite expositors, the, you know, the preachers that can play, sing, you know, and prophesy, you know, we all still have some work to do. And I think if we can embrace that concept as a body, um, that, you know, iron sharpens iron, we all need to be there. We're, you know, we're really focusing as the church on the body, the different parts and how all of us have to work together um, and, and not expecting I've got it all, every piece together. I think that makes our church healthier, even though it may appear that there's some areas of, of lack. And I think your message to this point is is critically important so that we really understand that True discipleship means everything, that we are all functioning together within the body to where it is God has equipped us and called us. And as we do so, not only will that body function more effectively, but ultimately the impact of the church right where we're planted will be more effective too. I, you know, I agree wholeheartedly. You know, I, I'm not the perfect pastor, but I'm being perfected. So, you know, it, it's my prayer, my desire that, um, you know, if nothing else, we want to be a model. You know, we say all the time that we haven't come to compete with other ministries. We come to complete them. Yeah. Hey, before our time is up today, Pastor Smith, take a moment, if you would, and tell us about the ministry of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch. You've got an amazing story and an amazing and vibrant ministry. So just kind of walk us through service times, and if folks are new to the San Francisco Bay Area and looking for a church home, what will they find at Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch? A loving Bible teaching church, um, radical in our worship. We love to praise and lift up the name of the Lord. Um, a diverse people, people from all different backgrounds. I mean, you'll have them well dressed all the way in the sweatsuits and, and, uh, and you can be you. Um, Sunday mornings, uh, we meet for worship at eight and 11. Uh, they're what we call spread classes because grown folk don't want to go to Sunday school anymore. So we have spread classes and spread is nothing more than, than small group Bible studies, but we also have those during the week as well. They're not relegated to Sunday, but spread classes at 10 midweek services on Wednesday at seven fifteen. We have recovery class at the church Thursday at, um, at uh, 7 PM. Um, and then we have a host of uh, prayer opportunities, five thirty in the morning, Monday, Wednesdays, and Fridays, 6 AM at the church. Um, and then Saturday mornings, um, uh, the first and fourth Saturdays at um, 8 a.m. So there's a lot of prayer. There's a lot of uh, biblical teaching. We do a, uh, we have a lot of community-based programs. We have a nonprofit, a new nonprofit called Grace Arms, uh, gracearms.org, and you can get a lot of information about the programs that we run out of Grace Arms, our after-school program, tutoring programs, mentor programs, uh, sport programs, uh, recovery programs. We have a Grace House um, we're looking to build tiny homes. We're opening up a daycare center as we speak. We're building that. Um, and on and on and on. Um, the church is very concerned about the health and wellness of our community. And we want Christ to be made known here. Uh, Antioch was the first place where they were called Christians. And, you know, we don't take it lightly that God has sent us all here. Um, you know, the people that live in this region, Contra Costa County East, is just a, a thriving uh, community of people, Pittsburgh, Antioch, Brentwood, Oakley, Discovery Bay, uh, all, you know, five, 10 minutes away from each other, a quarter of a million plus people, you know, um, trending upwards, a lot of people from the greater Bay Area, uh, San Francisco, Oakland, Richmond, uh, so on and so forth, have moved out here and bought homes. Uh, so obviously there are some new challenges in our community as, you know, people from the city have moved out here. 
Um, but that's why you need a, a balanced, uh, a, a healthy, well-balanced ministry that's able to cater uh, to the needs of the people. But if you want to get more information on Grace, uh, it is uh, grace, uh, www.gbfofantioch.org. And uh, all of our services are streamed live and, um, and all are archived. So you can get a taste of who we are, a flavor for the church. And we tell people all the time, if you uh, like the message, you'll love the church. If you don't like the message, you won't like the church. So I think you can find a lot of the love of who GBF is uh, based on what you hear. And we are going to be biblically sound and we're going to preach the whole gospel. And, you know, if I'm going to preach the whole gospel, I got to live the whole gospel. So that is the commitment we've made to the Lord. Uh, for 30 plus years and God just keeps, you know, he keeps blessing us and he, and he continues to be very, very good to us. Um, so when, you know, David said, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm still tasting and I'm sure enough encouraging other people to taste for yourself so you can see that the Lord is good as well. If folks wonder what can God do with a small little, um, out of the way in a not too great neighborhood beauty salon. Well, you've just heard the answer. Uh, we appreciate so much the time today with Pastor Kirkland A. Smith, founder and senior pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch. They are at 3415 Oakley Road in Antioch. And as Pastor mentioned, for more information, service times, and to understand more about the breadth and depth of what God is doing in this ministry in that portion of the East Bay, you can follow them online at GBF, think Grace Bible Fellowship, GBF of Antioch, Dot O-R-G. That's gbfofantioch.org. Pastor Kirkland Smith, we appreciate most the time and uh, an opportunity to uh, get to know you more and to have you share some of your story with our listeners. Thank you, Brother Craig. God bless you as well. When things don't go our way, we're quick to letting God go. But when we don't do what God says, he ain't quick to letting us go. Huh. See, Isaiah is a man who has gone through some storms and some hardships. He is not, um, he is not conveyed in the text as a perfect man. We don't get great description of his frailties as we do with David or with Peter or with Paul or with, or with, uh, 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 Jonah or with so many others. But just in the way he communicates, he is very familiar with sin. Now, some of y'all aren't really familiar with sin until we paint the picture. And then you be like, oh, I didn't know that that was sin. So that's why sometimes on Sundays we have to paint a little bit, mother, because there's some folk in here that think they going to heaven because they good. But the truth is, goodness don't get you into heaven. Just like a warrior ticket from last week don't get you in the game tomorrow. You got to have something current, something relevant, and something that is able to be received at the proper time to gain access to the kingdom of God. Isaiah, whose name meant Yahweh is salvation. That's what his name meant. See, God doesn't call you just out of coincidence. God calls you for a purpose. When I, when I, when we pastored the church and we started, it was 2003. And one of the first weeks, one of the first messages I preached, I was doing some research. And in the research, it had something to do with names. And I began researching and I, I began to research my name. And, and my name, Kirkland, meant dweller by the church. And that blew me away that I, I wanted my mama to name me Jose back in the day. Y'all ain't with me. And I don't even know how she got to Kirkland because I never used Kirkland. I, am I with my mama? Am I right? Never used Kirkland. I did not like Kirkland. But when I found out that God had touched my mom and my dad, touched their hearts to name me prophetically what I was going to be further in life, I, I could not not use cut half of the name because I would have lost half of its meaning. You need to check and see what your name means. I'm not talking about, you know, if, 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 if your, your daddy's name is uh, uh, Fred and, and your mama's name is, is, is Ricky and, and they call you Frederica. I'm, no, I'm not talking about that kind of name. I'm talking about the name that was given that has some kind of divine declaration to it. Because a lot of times in your name, God is pointing you, hear me y'all, to your destiny. Take a peek. Google what your name means. 
When I found out my name meant dweller by the church, I was already dwelling there, but it encouraged me that much more to make sure I don't do nothing that keeps me from where God has destined me to be. Can I get an amen from somebody? Isaiah, Yahweh is my salvation, was sent by God, watch this now, with an intended purpose to remind the people that no matter how bad things got, no matter how many kings, he served under four different kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. No matter how many times the kings messed up or how many times they fell down, God was reminding him uh, to remind the people that God is the only one that can keep you from falling. It does not mean making a mistake. It means helping you recover from your mistake because all of us in here have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. But God is the one. The Lord is the one who has lifted us up. He's the lifter of our heads. He is the healer, the Lord thy God that healeth me. He's the one that restored what the locusts have eaten. He's the one who now you declare he is my shepherd. I, I shall not want. He is your light and your salvation. He is your strength holder of your life. He is the one that you are where you are today because of him. Think about it. Where would I be? That's what the psalmist wrote. Where would I be if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side? See, sometimes y'all, we get it a little twisted. That's the bad news is that you think you got yourself out of trouble. You think you talked your way out of that stint in prison. You think you got, you, you talked your way out of that ticket with the cop. That wasn't you. That was the grace of God that touched that, that, that police officer's uh, heart. That was the grace of God that out of all of those applications in that college, that was the grace of God that gave whoever was reading those admission letters that gave, that gave them a warm spot towards your child. It wasn't your child is that great a writer. They are a good writer, but it was the grace of God touching the heart of the admissions director. Y'all ain't hearing me. Is he the one who wills and does his good pleasure in your life. Hezekiah is prophesying during a very crucial time in Israel's history, and I'm preaching at a very crucial chemo. No doctor is going to tell you that we're going we're gonna to remove this, we're going to do a surgical procedure, we're going to do these treatments, and they're not going to tell you they ain't going to hurt. All right. Right. There's going to be some pain associated. Right. Come on, y'all. Right. There's going to be some pain associated with the illness. It's going to be some pain, it's, you know, with surgery. That's why they give you what the pills and stuff as soon as you come out of surgery. Yep, yep. Why? Because it's pain. So though God is going to send Jesus, Isaiah tells uh, the nation, God's going to send Jesus to save the world. There's still going to be some pain because of the suffering of sin. Yes, sin brings about suffering and suffering it has consequences. But he says in the midst of bad news, there's good news. What's the good news? I'm sending my son. And my son is going to fix everything that's been messed up. That's good news, y'all. There may be a surgeon that can't fix your situation, but they found one and he's coming from somewhere and you're holding hope that son, just hold on because when the surgeon gets here, everything is going to be better. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He's a surgeon. He's a healer. He's a deliverer. He's a restorer. And when he shows up, everything is going to be made new. It's good news, y'all. Let me end here. He proclaims good news in a time of bad news by telling them that the spirit of the Lord is on me. That's what he tells them. He tells them that the spirit of the Lord is on me. He done dealt with these kings, some good, some bad, a nation that's turned their backs on God. And he says, in spite of that, there's going to be some suffering. It's like a kid who does something and, and, and they get in trouble and the school calls you and you have to leave work. And, and then they did some stuff that's out of character and, and they came clean when you got there. And, and you like driving home, you, you know, you tell them you can't play and, and, and you know, I'm going to do da da da. You, you, what we used to always add, and you're going to get your butt whooped when you got home. Come on, y'all. And then they would be like, I told you the truth. And you like, I know you told me the truth, but there has to be some consequences for what you did. So because of what Israel did, Isaiah is prophesying that help is coming. He says, but you're going to have to pay for some of the suffering. There, there's some there's some consequences that there, there's going. We can't do wrong all the time and expect 
right or expect grace to cover it. I can't keep driving drunk and don't expect that I'm going to get my license taken or don't expect that my mama going to take the keys or whatever the case may be. He's telling them problems are coming. You may say, well, pastor, why are problems coming to us? Because all the lies we tell. For all the lies that we tell. People ask you, how you doing? You are? Right? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. It's a lie. It's a lie. You going to be here? Yeah, I'm a, oh yeah, man, I'm in. I'm in with the church. I'm in with God. I'm, I'm all in with God. You're lying. Because in your mind, you already know what you're doing when you leave the church. You already know where your affiliations and your allegiances are. That's why I can't get too many amens today. See, because if you was really in, if this was the Raider game and such and such is catching the ball, such and such is running the ball, I ain't got to tell you, clap your hands. I ain't got to tell you, open up your mouth. I ain't got to tell you to run around and face bump and, and, and high five. That's automatic. It's just something you do because that's your team. I told you everybody ain't on team Jesus. But see, when your back get against the wall, uh, 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 the Raider quarterback ain't going to beat it. When your back is against the wall, you call Steph, Steph ain't answering. Steph don't know you. But I know somebody who do know you. And who wants to get to know you better. But our hearts have been broken. We've broken people's hearts by the things we do. What's causing suffering? Isaiah goes down the list. We've made messes. We, we've turned our back on God. We've stolen. We've, we've created other images and likenesses. There are certain things we love. A kid will lose their mind. You take their phone. She'll fight her mama. Give me the phone. I ain't giving you my phone. They, they will literally fight their mama. We didn't have a phone, but we had a phone in our room. Come on, somebody. And when you acted a phone, fool, and mama just unplugged it out the wall, you just were like this. You didn't think about saying nothing? Because you already knew there had to be some suffering attributed with what you did. Am I right about it, y'all? But see, we're raising a group of children that don't want to attribute consequences to suffering. We, we, we don't want to suffer for doing wrong, but you want to be rewarded for doing right. Am I right, y'all? So what God is doing with this man is he's, he's telling him the spirit of, he's, what Isaiah is telling him, the spirit of the Lord is on me. See, when you're anointed, he said he's, he's on me and he's anointed me. What's anointing? It's consecration. It's an endowment. It's an empowering that's what oil, blessed oil represents, an anointing. That's why sometimes when you, you off track, kids ain't acting right, just anoint them with some oil. Consecrate them again. Somebody that came and broke in your house or some bad spirits in your house, go anoint your house with oil again. Invoke the presence of God back in your house. For all you know, somebody may have kicked him out. You need to invite him right back in. That's some people, they just keep anointing their children. That's what you're supposed to do. But don't just anoint your children. Don't just anoint your community. Come here and anoint this church. Anoint the cheers. Anoint everybody up in here. Consecrate them. If we've been called to do something, consecrate us so that we will do what God has called us to do. When the cops are killing and not serving, we quick to want to get rid of them because you're saying you were consecrated to protect and serve. You ain't protecting and serving, so you got to go. Am I right or wrong? When the preacher ain't doing right, you like you got to go. You're supposed to be loving the people and you loving the people. Y'all will read that one later. You're you doing some stuff you ain't supposed to do. So for that reason, you got to go. But what about when you ain't doing what you're supposed to be doing? You ain't living the way you're supposed to be living. We ain't anointing ourselves. We ain't consecrating ourselves. We put on a whole lot of makeup, but we ain't putting on enough anointed oil. Got to start anointing ourselves. Let me in here. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's anointed me. He's covered me so that I can cover somebody else. He, he said he's given me the ability to proclaim good news. Even though we're in bad times, I'm still going to bring some good news. Yeah, I'm going to tell you that our children may not be moving the right way, but sometimes it may take one wrong move to change your child's life. So sometimes we, we shouldn't always be trying to, I, I want to keep him from any problems. Every now and then you got to let him, you got to let him walk into his mess. You got to let him live in his pigsty. You got to, I'm leaving the house. I ain't never coming back. Tell him, go here. You need some money. You got to help him sometime. Grow up. 
Because if you keep them in the house, all they're going to know is blessings. You let them get out there in this world and they see this world is cold and this world is hard. A little kid last week, I was talking to a 17 year old. He living in a car. 17. When I was that age, we wasn't really on our own. You'd have been at your aunt's house, your cousin's house, your friend's house. These kids is on their own as babies. And we got parents nowadays that are just as young. They wear the same clothes. They they don't know the same dance steps. They play the same video games. So they don't really care. They treat their kid like a friend. And when you get mad, when mama get mad at daughter, she will cuss her out and call her, you you know what, and will tell her, I ain't got nothing to do with you no more and be okay with that. That's where the church got to come in. That's where somebody anointed got to come in. Somebody say, baby, I know I don't look like what I've been through, but baby, I've been in your shoes. I had a baby at 16. I was married at 17. I was divorced at 22. I was beaten at 35. You got to tell them your story. You got to let these kids know there's hope in Christ. So he's telling this story and, and, and he says, I got good news to, to, to proclaim liberty to the captives. There are people in bondage, y'all. But we want to sit here and judge, judge them. But they, but they come up in here smell like alcohol. Everywhere you go, you smell like weed. Don't nobody say nothing to you. Y'all laughing, I ain't laughing. I mean, the kids, grown folk, folk just walk in, they come to funerals smelling like weed, they come to church smelling like weed, and then you want to sit there and look at the little top she got on. But you coming in here smelling like this and had on last night's ooh-wee outfit on, and you sitting there judging somebody else. He's real simple, and his message is real simplistic, y'all. He says in the midst of bad news that God came to bring some good news. And I looked, and I closed on this thought. I looked in the text and I just saw some people and some of the people in the text just had one thing. That's all you need. One thing. In order to get in line with God, obviously we need Christ. But all you need is one thing. Somebody say one thing. That's all I need. One thing. One thing. One thing. Just one thing. One thing. You want a job? Got to have a license. One thing. You, you, you want to go? You, you want to graduate? Got to go to class. One thing. You 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 want, you want to stay out of jail? Then don't do stuff the cops be looking for. One thing. Want to lose weight? Stop eating in the bed. One thing. One thing. It's it's one thing. I looked in the text and I said everybody I saw that was successful did one thing. Abel had obedience. One thing. What separated Abel from Cain? Obedience. One thing. Joseph had favor. Not a jacket. Favor on his jacket. One thing. So all you need is one thing. Moses was successful because he had a staff. And he was willing to lift up his staff. Every now and then you got to be willing, no matter how you feel, no matter what your suffering looks like, you got to be willing to lift up your hands. Hallelujah. Yeah, he had a staff. The staff was the difference maker. Joshua had a long, loud shout. Every now and then when you're going through something, you got to learn to shout unto the, the, to the Lord with a voice of cry, uh, a voice of triumph. He had a long, loud shout. And what brought those walls down was not the walk. It was the shout. I need a Bible student. It was the shout that brought the walls of Jericho down. All you need is one thing. Abraham had faith that he would lift up that staff and slay his son. That's what Peter had, faith. All you need, one thing. Jonah had, uh, Jacob had determination. That's why when he fought God, he said, I ain't going to let you go till you bless me. See, some of you are in the season. You may not have, you know, a great grass of Greek and Hebrew. You may not speak in tongues. You may not have a holy dance. But somebody needs to declare today, I got determination. I'm not letting go of God's hand nor God's promises till he blesses me and my children. Nehemiah had a testimony. That's how he, one thing. That's how the wall got rebuilt. He told the people what God had done for him. And when he told them, they partnered with it. Sometimes all you need is a testimony. Jonah had a second chance. Some of us wouldn't be here if God hadn't given you 
Somebody should thank him. Not for your second, for your fourth chance. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. John got cut up four times. Come on. And thank him for your chances. That's what Jonah had, a second chance in the belly of that well. He was all stubborn in what he ain't going to do. When he got up out of that well, he went right to doing what God had called him to do in the first place. That's what a big fish experience will do for you. Peter had belief. Peter had belief. That's why he got out and walked on that water. Don't you let nobody discourage you when you're walking where nobody else is walking and doing what nobody else is doing. Because though you may laugh and, and clown Peter that he almost drowned because he took his eye off Jesus, at least Peter got out the boat. And I'm talking to some folk in this season. You got to learn to get out the boat. Your friends ain't going to get out the boat. Your mama ain't going to get out the boat. Your pastor may not get out the boat, but that shouldn't keep you from getting out the boat. Because all you need is what? One thing. Paul had confidence. Even though everyone around him was discouraging him, he said, being confident of this, that he that began a good work, watch this, in me, is going to carry it through. Anybody believe God done done something good something in you? He's already, he's already matriculating something in you. Well, if he started it, he's going to carry it through. Look at somebody and say, all I need is one thing. One thing. That's all you need. It's just one thing. One thing. Mary had one thing. A son. Uh-huh. Mary had one thing. A son. Uh huh. John had one thing, a cousin. Uh huh. James had one thing, a brother. And I've got one thing, a savior. And if it wasn't for my savior, uh huh, I wouldn't have confidence. If it wasn't for my savior, I wouldn't have determination. If it wasn't for my savior, I wouldn't have faith. If it wasn't for my savior, I wouldn't have favor. If it wasn't for my savior, I wouldn't have obedience. I'm trying to help y'all understand in a time of bad news, I still got some good news. There's still a savior that is sitting high and he's looking low and he desires to fix and to change your situation. You don't need another man. That's, that's, that's what you know, you're doing. You run into relationships. Run to Jesus. Run to the Lord. Give God a chance. A real good hard chance. See what he does. Partner with us starting next week in this fast. See what the Lord does. Put down the cigarettes. Put down the coffee. Put down the, the, the talk shows. Put down the drama. Just for a week. Just put it down for one week. Get in your word. Get on your knees. Partner with us. We're going to have a series of, of different things that we're doing in that time. And, and things are just either a number to dial in, a Zoom call, or click on a link and you'll be on something. But I really want to challenge someone in this season. In this season of bad news. Because I'm telling you, bad news ain't stopping. And there will be a season that bad news will reach your home too. And I'm not, don't speak that on me, Pastor. I'm not speaking it because the word says in this world we're going to have tribulations. He, he, he said, count it all joy when you go through diverse trials. It's happening, y'all. My question to you is how are you going to respond when suffering comes? When your kids do something that you never expected your kid to do. How are you going to respond? All you need is one thing. Savior. Pastor Kirkland A. Smith, founder and senior pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship of Antioch, 3415 Oakley Road in Antioch, online at gbfofantioch.org. This has been the Church of the Week, showcasing churches and pulpit ministries from across the greater San Francisco Bay Area. To nominate your congregation for Church of the Week, Please email us the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to your church's website to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. Again, that's the name and address of your pastor and church, along with a link to the website and email to Church of the Week at SalemSF.com. While all submissions will be considered, not every submission is guaranteed airtime. Thank you for joining us today, and be sure to tune in again next week at this time for the Church of the Week. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.